Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for insightful analysis and enlightening discussions. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. Thanks for joining us on one of the 47 radio stations on iTunes, on YouTube, or maybe you're on the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, we have a very special show for you today. I just got back from the National Association of Realtors Annual Conference and Expo. This year it was in San Diego, and I had the opportunity to interview all the speakers who were speaking on commercial real estate issues, and this is a best of. My first guest is Jim Costello. He's Senior VP with Real Capital Analytics. He has some interesting views on the impact of rising interest rates on cap rates and real estate values. Lucky to have Jim Costello here with us from Real Capital Analytics. And Jim, you just came off a great conference talking about the economics and trends in commercial real estate and what's happening. Now, you guys were talking about rising interest rates, talking about the impact on cap rates and values. What should we expect? What's your crystal ball about commercial real estate values and cap rate? I tell you, a lot of people are afraid that next December, the Fed's going to raise the discount rate. And they're worried that interest rates are going to go up as a result and cap rates will go up as a result. And we're all going to be dead. They talk like that. Maybe not the dead part, but they're fearful of cap rates going up and then values declining as a result. I'm not as convinced that's necessarily going to happen. These things don't move in a one-to-one basis. If you look at the long history of cap rates against a long history of the 10-year treasury, there's times when it gets wider, times when it gets narrower, and there's a real wide margin right now. That wide margin says that investors are pricing in a lot of risk in their investments today. It may sound funny to folks saying that, hey, they're pricing in risk given the high prices people are paying, but it is actually a much more stable market today than the 2006-2007 type experience. And is it much more stable because if they are rising rates, raising rates, that means the economy's doing well, right? We should have more jobs and more demand for commercial real estate. So is there less risk because of increased NOI? Well, yeah, there's that risk aversion in place at the moment because there's some uncertainty about the economy. A growing economy that demands capital, demands lending, that pushes up the cost of capital. An economy like that reduces the risk aversion on parts of investors. So that spread between the cap rate and the interest rate can start to narrow as they get more comfortable with it. Now that said, it's not as though the growth in the economy could come in strong enough to push rents up very quickly to drive double-digit growth in values. We saw that from the fallen cap rates. If interest rates start to go up, we're probably at the end of cap rate compression, but we can still get some growth in prices from income, but income typically grows more in the single-digit rates. So we'll probably see some slowing price growth no matter what in the coming year. And we're here at the Realtors Conference in San Diego, and there's a lot more commercial brokers here now. What would you tell a commercial practitioner when they're talking to an investor that they're helping buy a property about an exit cap rate? If they're thinking about selling a property three or four years from now, let's say, and they're buying it at a five cap, or six cap, what might they expect moving forward? I know it's a crystal ball question, but what should we use in our exit strategy? Well, I think the three to four years out is different than some of the holding periods I've been talking to folks about. A lot of folks I've been talking to, they look at this low yield environment we're in. They like the commercial real estate, the the fact that it has this steady income play. And so when they're going in, they're they're thinking of more long-term holds of folks I've been dealing with. A short-term hold, you know, where you're getting out in three years, there it's going to be really critical to look not just just sort of the broader trends of the capital markets, but the fundamentals of that city. Why are they thinking about a three-year hold in a particular city? Is it something that there are other investors coming in? Is it a deep liquid market that if, heaven forbid, we had a big shock in the next couple of years, would they live to three or four years? 
And that's sort of the critical issue. Yeah, yeah maybe you can get a great deal in Poughkeepsie <laughs> and think that you can get out in three years. Yeah. But knock on wood, if something happens and the economy for one reason or another, there's a lot more risk aversion, there aren't going to be too many investors going to those tertiary markets at a time like that. So that's, I'd look at sort of the investor depth in, in that kind of a period. Yeah, yeah, well, that's a good point. And I think another thing on the minds of our listeners and viewers and, and the attendees here at the conference is, what impact will rising interest rates have on commercial real estate sales volume? Again, we're realtors, we like transactions. What do you expect there? You like transactions, it's all about buyers and sellers getting together. We've been in a good run where 2014 investment volume was 432 billion. The year before it was like 200 billion. That's one heck of a growth pace. 2015, we're on pace to maybe hit 450, 470 billion. So it's not growing quite as quick as it had in, in 2014. The issue is that you had this tremendous growth in volume because buyers and sellers were so close on agreeing what prices were. But as prices have gone up so much, cap rates have come down to these new low levels, it's not as though there's more room to wiggle there. And if interest rates go up and you get cap rates flattening or even maybe rising a little bit, I don't think that you'll be in a situation where sellers really need to sell. So they're not going to be motivated at that point. They'll probably be looking at their assets and thinking about the value is what they got for it a year ago, what the last transaction like it had done, whereas buyers may want to come at a lower price. I think in the year ahead, rather than a interest rate shock having sort of big price impact, I think it may have a volume impact in terms of pushing buyers and sellers further apart. Further apart, that's interesting, because I think some people, and at least in the residential here at the Realtors Conference, can have seen you know a slight uptick in interest rates keep, all right, now sellers say, well, maybe I should go ahead and sell. Buyers may become a little more, at them, so, well, I probably need to lock in rates. They are really now going up. But in commercial real estate, it's just the cost of capital hurts values and hurts the yeah, volume. Yeah, but it's also the motivation's a little bit different. There's always a lot more churn in the single family market because there's always a need to live in a house. There's always something happening, families being created, marriage situations, whatever. There's always that turnover. If you own commercial property and you're not forced to sell it, you're not in default, you're not facing any kind of capital calls, any situations there, then why? There's nothing to be gained at the moment, so you just sit on it for a while. And I think it's not as though they're testing the waters at this point. I think that's really the issue. There's just not that motivation as much to kind of turn things over in the, in the commercial market. And you guys do a great job of tracking all types of commercial real estate. What would you tell our listeners as far as a sector that there might be some opportunities in? Anywhere in the U.S. right now, is there a sector that holds a little more promise? Yeah, sectors that hold promise, it's always dependent on the eyes of the beholder in terms of what that promise is. I mean, if you're the investor coming in with a lot of wealth that just needs to be sheltered somewhere, let's say you're a Latin American dictator. Stuff in Miami. How'd you know I am? Uh, well, you know, that's uh, the pocket square. But I tell you, there's, there's a lot of money coming to Florida from places in Latin America where there's a fear of what happens in regimes down there and just maybe parking some capital. It's not necessarily a lot of good price appreciation there, but there's sort of the capital stability. Other cities talk about sort of the opportunities. Maybe if you talk about it from the perspective of where is their growth potential, maybe cities where you may see more cap rate compression. If you think about it from that perspective, you know, some of these secondary and tertiary markets where there's been some volume growth, but prices haven't quite adjusted as much, there's a few of those still out there that there's uh, some activity, but it hasn't led to a tremendous compression in cap rates yet. You know, typically, it's your secondary tertiary markets where some of it's just starting to get going. It's harder 
for investors to get into some of those markets though, because it's not as though you're buying a bond and building in Indianapolis is like building any place else. You really got to go in there knowing some people locally who can help you manage it, because you can pay a lot for it, but the asset management is where you really give you on top of your game there. Well, name some cities for us. Is that cities like Atlanta, Nashville, Charlotte? You know, what, what type of cities might hold those kind of opportunities? Talking about cities, I mean, Nashville comes up in a lot of things recently. It was like on the top of the list for UOLI's Emerging Trends Report. The joke is that now that it's been named, uh, everybody's going <laughs> to Everybody late. knows. Yeah. Right? But it's a city that I like some of the fundamentals in Nashville from the economic perspective. If you think about, we still have an auto industry in the United States. It's just not necessarily as centered in Ohio and Michigan anymore. It's moving south. And Tennessee's been capturing some of the back office and some of the manufacturing activity. And Nashville, I look at Nashville almost like an Atlanta 30 years ago. And, and so I think there's some potential and it's a fun city, and that's an important thing for trying to attract some of the high-quality labor that is needed in the modern economy. The millennials, everyone talks about the millennials, they want to go someplace where there's fun, there's a nice experience. There's good music and fun in uh, Nashville. It's got a lot going for it there. That's right. You do need that job growth, right? You need the population to create the demand in these communities, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the challenge. You know, what are the jobs that are growing? And the cities that have done best are the ones that have sort of the tech sector focus, the financial sector. I think that when people talk about we're in the silly season of politics. You'll see a lot of talk about bringing manufacturing jobs back. That's one. I'm just not convinced that there's going to be as much growth there. The United States is as bad as things may seem to people here at times. It's the best part of the developed world. Our currency is strong. That's going to help to limit some of our export potential and our manufacturing potential. But beyond that, the long-run trend has been for firms to substitute manufacturing workers with technology. I, I think we're just going to see a lot more of that. The simple profit motive for corporate boards is in place on that. So I think we'll continue to see an erosion of the manufacturing labor base, even though we're making more manufactured goods than ever. Yeah, that's too bad. And you mentioned politics. You guys track these markets. You've done it through several elections. What about where we are now in the, in the, with the current politics and the world economy? Might the election results impact commercial real estate in, in any way? Who wins? I haven't thought about that one yet. That's a tricky one. I'm sure there's probably at some point going to uh, a different policy uh, position is going to come up from the different candidates. I think it's early enough, thankfully, that they haven't really put any details down on that. Yeah. But if we talk to uh, this time in about six months, I think those kind of stories may be clearer. That's great. Well, we'll check back with you in six months. Uh, we want your predictions on that. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, no problem. Thank you. All right, Michael Bull here with the Commercial Real Estate Show, the 2015 NAR Conference and Expo in San Diego. Next, we'll have an opposing view from a CCIM instructor. You don't want to miss this. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're featuring interviews from the National Association of Realtors Conference and Expo. This year it was in San Diego. And we just heard from um, Jim Costello about his views on rising interest rates impact on cap rates and, and real estate values. Now we're going to hear an opposing view. And this is interesting because it's from Todd Coleman. He's CEO and president of CRE Tech. He's also a CCM instructor. He teaches 101 and 104. So he's always looking at the numbers and how they impact values. Enjoy. 
We ran with Todd Coleman. We pulled him into our booth. We're going to talk to him. Todd, you've got this uh, webinar coming up on, it's, I think it's a very important subject that people need to hear about, is how rising interest rates are going to impact commercial real estate and cap rates. Uh, it's coming up this Thursday, right? And uh, so give us a little preview. So I think some people are worried that, you know, we're hearing the little bubble talk uh, that maybe people are overpaying at least three and four cap rates. Well, these low cap rates, it's all-time low for a lot of these, which also means, I mean, low cap rates, cap rates drive the value. That's what how the cap rate is calculated. Not a return on the investment, but the value of the investment. So with these low cap rates, what that basically means is the prices are high, really high right now. Well, these institutional investors can pay low, uh, high prices for these, low cap rates on these investments when their cost of capital is so low. But when their cost of capital starts increasing, and something's got to change and something's got to give. And that's what we're going to talk about Thursday. Interesting. So, you know, everybody expects interest rates to rise, but it seems like we keep waiting, we keep waiting. It hasn't happened. Do you expect that we'll see something in December? Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, first of all, Michael, I've been saying this for a couple of years, but you can go to YouTube and you can Google or you put in YouTube, search for my name, Credit Crash. Mm -hmm. So Todd Kuhlman Credit Crash, and it pulls up a video that I did in August 2007, talking about the credit crash we were going to have in the marketplace, and that was well over a year and before that was a Lehman. Go-go year too. That was a go-go year. It was one of no. the best years we had. I had no. some of my best friends, real estate brokers, coming to me and saying, "Todd, why are you being Debbie Downer for this?" Mm -hmm. And so I'm seeing some trends going here that I saw back then when I did that video. And so I don't think it's about necessarily when, but it's not necessarily if it's going to happen, but when it's going to happen is definitely the situation. The Fed's meeting again, and um, we're going to see Wall Street was not happy last time when they didn't raise interest rates, which I thought was very interesting because of some world dynamics. And obviously now, unfortunately, we have a many more, more world dynamics with what's going on in Paris and things like that. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Feds do this coming week on the interest rates. But we know it's going to happen. It's the million-dollar question is when. Right, right. And it's interesting to come from you because, in case you don't know, listeners and viewers, he teaches CCRM classes 101. 104. You're looking at the math. You're looking at these numbers. You're looking at the return on investments all the time, and uh, and and you, you like you said, you you kind of told us in 07 what was coming, and and even myself, I'm like, nah, it's residential. It's not commercial. You know, it's not going to happen. But it did. So so give me an example of, of how the the value might adjust. Let's say it is um, two years from now, and interest rates are are 200 base, but they're two points higher. What's that going to do to a value of a, of a sample property? Well, let me first back up because when I, what I feel, especially for a lot of your audience and real estate in general, you can really make money in real estate in an up and down market as long as you know what to predict. Right. So if you know this is coming, then you can make adjustments for it and, and come in, sell the property if it's time to sell the property. Just be aware of it. I've talked to some people lately that are going in, they're still buying the properties. But what they're doing is they're using exit cap rates or going out cap rates that are higher than the going in. And if it still makes sense, it still makes sense based on the low cost of capital today. So that's not to say that the in industry is just going to halt, but there is going to be an adjustment. So what we're going to see is we're going to start seeing as these interest rates go up and we're seeing this push on the returns that are required by some of these institutional investors. They have what's called a discount rate required discount rate. That's our yield requirement. 
and they have to earn that much money in that investment in order to meet their obligations. Think of a life company, they have to pay out life insurance policy. Think of a pension fund, they gotta pay their pensions, right? Well, if the, their cost of capital goes up and their required return remains the same, then what's gonna change? The, what they can pay for the property is what's gonna change. Right, so exit cap rate's a good thing you brought up there. So I know I was in this situation uh, back in 05 and 06, you know, when I'm representing a buyer and I'm like trying to tell them what exit cap rate, I knew it was gonna be higher, but I didn't know how much. I mean, how do you? I mean, that's the biggest variable. Yeah. I mean, so when you're, when you're doing commercial real estate projections, yeah. the number one variable in the entire projection is gonna be what you're gonna sell it for when. Right. And so that's what we're going to talk about Thursdays. We're going to go into a lot of detail on how to look at the cap rate, going out cap rate, and what that means. So if you said, you know, okay, well, I got a 200 basis point increase or a 2% increase into that interest rates today, with interest rates being about 2.3% on a 10-year treasury today, and then look at the 10-year treasury. This is the indicator, the 10-year treasury rate. Look at that 10-year treasury rate, see what it's doing, keep an eye on it, because as it goes up, hey, that's our cost of capital in the commercial real estate world. And so as it goes up, and if it goes up two basis, 200 basis points, no longer is it 2.3, but it's 4.3. But guess what? The overall average, and this is going to be interesting for new people in the real estate industry that may not know this, the long-term average yield on the 10-year treasury rate, and mind you, it's 2.3% now, the long-term average is 6.4. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that could be a big, uh, big change. So a lot of investors are kind of banking when they, when they pay these low cap rates, right? They're banking on improved NOI. So it, obviously, it, it, you want to base your decisions on the individual property and its sub-market and that sort of thing, but is that what you hear these investors are, are saying to you that, you know, we have enough growth that we're going to be okay with even a rising cost of money? Well, there's a couple factors on this. Number one, we, we graph out. We looked at what was happening in 2006, 2007, 2008, and right now our values are higher than they were in 2008. So if you chart this out, we went up in 2008, went down dramatically, as we all know, in the credit crash. Now we're back up, but we're past where we were in 2008 on value side of this equation. So if you're asking me, you know, what do I think these values are going to do, where we're going to be at, uh, there's going to be a correction. And I'm going to say it. There's going to be a correction. Now, depending on the market, you know, you mentioned that too. Tertiary markets, NOI adjustments, and, and we know cap rate is a method of calculating the value based on NOI. So how much more push can we have on the NOI? I live in Austin, Texas. I mean, we've been figuring out every way to suck every dollar out of every property lately. Mm -hmm. Now, if I go to a tertiary market, a smaller market that may have just hit this cycle, maybe they have some ability to increase this NOI over the next few years, and it's not gonna hit them. The interest rate adjustment's not gonna hit them as hard as maybe a market that's already adjusted its pricing and the rent and the rates are as all-time highs as well. Right. Because the demands are, and the demand's still there. So, I mean, I'm not gonna be this Debbie Downer person mm -hmm. that's saying, you know, everything's gonna, you know, fall from underneath us because demand is there. Yeah. And I would say, if you really wanna be on the fronting edge of this market, compare the demand, what's the demand drivers, to these interest rate indexes. And it's, it's you gotta look at all of it to figure out what you can sell that property for in the future and what the return's gonna be. That's good, good information, Todd. So, you're with CRE, Tech. So, how can people, if they 
they want to check out this webinar or find it? Yeah, best thing to do, uh, go to CRETM.com, CRETM.com, or shoot us an email. Shoot us at uh, sales at CRETM.com, and we'll sign you up for the webinar. Todd, thanks a lot. All right, thanks, Michael. Michael Boyle with the Commercial Real Estate Show at the 2015 NAR Conference and Expo. Wow, interesting view from Todd Coleman. If you believe it's time to sell, give me a call. We'll put together the right team for you. Well, stay tuned. Next, we're going to have Adam Sled. He's going to talk to us about a green lease. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. Well, today we're featuring my favorite interviews from the National Association of Realtors Annual Conference and Expo. This year it was in San Diego. And if you haven't been involved with the National Association of Realtors uh, lately, uh, check them out. If you're a realtor or if you're a real estate uh, broker or agent and you're not a realtor, check out being a realtor and the benefits. Uh, They're doing a lot of things for commercial agents. Uh, and so uh, be sure and check them out. Well, my next interview is with Adam Sled. He's program director with the Institute for Market Transformation, IMT, and he's going to talk to us about a green lease and sustainability. Enjoy. Hello, Michael Bull here from the Commercial Real Estate Show. We're here in San Diego at the 2015 National Association of Realtors Conference and Expo. And we just saw Adam Sled with IMT talk about sustainability. And one of the things that, uh, Adam, you talked about uh, in the sustainability world today is a green lease. Yep. All right. So I think our listeners and viewers would like to know that a green lease is not just a lease printed on green paper. Right. right? That's <laughs> so, right. So tell us what makes a, a green lease. So we, we get this question a lot. And, and what we try to say is a green lease is really just a normal commercial lease with a, a couple pieces of the language changed to reflect, say, if the owner has some sustainability priorities that they're, they're working on and they want to get the tenant's help, right? Because the lease is the most important part of the transaction. So controls the space. Yeah, exactly. So what we found working with owners is uh, if they've got some sort of energy initiative that they're working on or sustainability initiative, what often happens is they say, well, I'd like to make these improvements, but man, there's this part of my lease. I'm not going to be able to get that capital. You know, if it's a capital expense back, I'm not going to be able to recoup that capital, so I'm not going to do it. We've said, well, you just do something like go into your OPEX language in your lease and you change something that says you can recoup that capital expense as long as it's creating operational savings for your tenants. And it's just a simple change, but it's simple changes like that are what we see a lot of landlords doing now. And right, and even if they don't have any plans immediately, you want that green lease for the future uh, buyer, or yep. maybe you're going to do it later. You're going to do a capital improvements to change all your lighting to LED. Yep. And if you can't pass it through, then maybe you can't afford to do it, right? Yep. So what's another example that would make a, a green lease? So another thing that we're seeing a lot of large property owners do is uh, there's benchmarking laws or they're just benchmarking voluntarily in a lot of places, right? They're taking their utility bills and they're using something like Energy Star to see how their buildings compare to other buildings. And 
what they found was, you know, if you're a shopping center owner or you've got an office building with ground floor retail, it might be separately metered. So you might not have access to those utility bills. And what owners started doing is they're changing, um, you know, the sentence in their lease that uh, talks about utility service, and they're making it now say, uh, if the owner is doing benchmarking either for legal reasons or be because it's a voluntary program like something BOMA runs, and they need that utility data from the tenant, the tenant will agree to share it with them. Yeah. And we see the reverse. So right. tenants are asking that of owners too. Right, and it's becoming more important, isn't it, as institutional investors and, and others are wanting to know what the green score is on a property, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll get calls all the time, and it'll be you know a big asset manager, like uh, you know one that's really good is uh, like TIA CREF, right? Big institutional asset manager, and they'll say, yeah, we're doing this reporting to our investors and they want to know how green our lease is. And that's not a thing that we thought about five years ago, but now it's really important to us and we want to stay on top of that. Yeah. Now, is BOMA involved in the green lease initiative? Yes, BOMA's very involved. So what we always, what we always say is when someone asks, well, where do I find an example or where do I start? Uh, you just go to the BOMA website and buy the BOMA model lease. Yeah. The yeah. BOMA model lease is the, the best, greenest example. and. and People wouldn't necessarily think that, but um, yeah, it's it's a great place to start. So I can't just print my lease on green paper. I won't. You can try. <laughs> you could try, but I don't know how well that's going to work. All right, Adam. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. Michael Bull here with the Commercial Real Estate Show at the 2015 NAR Conference and Expo. It was great to meet Adam Sled, the program director for IMT at the Association conference and expo he provided some great information on sustainability and you can get any of these session recordings uh, through the um, conference expo website at realtor.org and if you like more information on sustainability or for the green lease visit boma.org that's b-o-m-a.org or imt.org for more information Coming up next, we're going to speak with John Mangum. John is a CPA, he's a regional manager with Starker Services, and he spoke at a session on 1031 exchanges. And he joined me in an interview, and we talked about reverse exchanges and construction exchanges. You know, let's hope the 1031 exchange uh, doesn't get on the chopping block with Congress because the 1031 exchange is a great way to sell a property and roll over the gains without paying taxes on them. It creates a lot of employment, a lot of jobs, and a lot of work. And he's going to provide some tips on these construction exchanges and these reverse exchanges, including a little-known tip. So stay with us. We'll be right back. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Stay with us. Would you like to shake hands with decision makers in your favorite commercial real estate sector? Visit interfaceconferencegroup.com for multifamily student and senior housing to net lease and healthcare conferences all over the country. Visit interfaceconferencegroup.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Today we're featuring interviews from the National Association of Realtors Annual Conference and Expo. This year it was in San Diego. I was there conducting interviews of the commercial real estate speakers. Next up is John Mangum. He's regional manager with Starker Services, talking about reverse exchanges and construction exchanges. Enjoy. 
We ran into John Mangum with Starker Services. They're out of Atlanta, and you guys do business where, all over the country? We're all over the country. We're headquartered in California, but we've been involved in exchanges in all 50 states. The 1031 Exchange is a great program. If you will, tell our listeners and our viewers about a couple of the exchanges that maybe they're not as familiar with, like a reverse exchange, because some people are afraid to sell their property and then hope they find something within the 45 days, but in some cases they can acquire the price of property first, right, and then sell? When people talk about exchanges, we break out the regular delayed exchange and then we talk about complex exchanges, and that would be reverse exchanges and construction exchanges. But the reverse exchange is a little bit like a regular delayed exchange. You sell a property, you've got a time period to identify and to acquire, and it's got to be equal or greater value. So on a reverse exchange, you buy the new one first, you have a time period, 45 to identify, 180 days not to acquire the new one, but 180 days to sell the old one. So in a reverse, it's a lot like a delayed in that the rules are the same. It's just that you've got to acquire the new one before you've sold the old one. And the biggest single factor that keeps people from doing a reverse exchange is that it requires significant financial strength. You got to have the capital to buy the replacement first. That's absolutely the nugget. You've got to have the resources, whether it's financial money in your back pocket or the ability to borrow through one channel or another, but you've got to be able to buy the new one. Some of the most sophisticated investors I know operate their portfolios not by deciding what to sell, but rather by looking for the next good deal. One of the property types that seems like this would work extremely well in are single-tenant net lease properties where you have a set single-tenant net lease property, you see cap rates have compressed, you've got some equity, you'd like to use that equity, but you're afraid you won't find something because when you get ready to, if you do a reverse exchange and you acquire a property, sometimes you may be worried that you might not sell the one you're selling fast enough to hit the time frames. But if you're selling a single-tenant net lease property with 10 years on the lease, then you could sell that right away, right? That ought to go out the door in 30 to 60 days. But we all know the adage, you make your money when you buy the property, that is when you pin down the good deal. And so the sophisticated investors will actually shop the market. They'll go try to find that really good deal, get it tied up, and then start working on selling the old one. And if the old one hasn't sold yet, they'll take down that really good deal. So they're buying the best possible property, they're making their money on day one, and then they start their clock, and then they work on selling the old property. And they need to get in touch with you, right? So they acquire that first property, which is going to be the replacement property, they got to acquire that in the intermediary's name, right? That's correct. The technical term the IRS gives us is accommodation title holder. It's got to be put in an entity, not the taxpayer, sometimes called a parking transaction. We're going to park the property for a period of time. You would come to us and say, I need to buy a million dollar replacement. You put up the funds. We put it in an entity. For us, it would be Starker Properties Incorporated. We'll hold that title under contractual agreement with you. Then you go hustle and get your old one sold. When the money from your old one finally comes through, we transfer the title to the new property to you, and then the funds from the old one come back to you to repay the advance that you made to complete the reverse exchange. And there's been a lot of these done, right? We've seen a tremendous increase in reverse exchanges through the downturn through the last four or five years. We're seeing people grab those really good deals. And reverses get interesting. They're much more complex, they're harder to do, but one of our favorite twists on a reverse that we see happen occasionally, let's say there's a million dollar property they're selling, and they go find a really good deal, $700,000 replacement. So they reverse into the replacement for $700,000, they've got 180 days to sell the million dollar old one, so it sells out there at 150, 160 days, finally sells, they've got 300 left over. You literally can now start a forward exchange on the other 300, which means you can reverse in and forward out 
out for a total window of up to 360 days. Wow, we've learned something today. I like that, and I did not know that. So let's talk about another exchange that people are using more and that has been around a long time as well, so it's safe, and that's the construction exchange. Tell us how that would work. Michael, you hear phrases, construction exchange, built-to-suit exchange, improvement exchange. Like the reverse, the intermediary is going to take and hold title to the replacement property, but it's a case where the replacement property isn't worth the full value. Let's say you're selling a property again for a million and you want to build a property for 1.5 million. You go find a piece of dirt for three or 400,000, you get the plans and specs ready to go. As the QI, the qualified intermediary, we can take title to the dirt and then according to your draw schedule, when the work is done, we pay the draws. So we get 200,000, 300, 400,000 done. It reaches a million dollars on or before the 180th day. At that point, we transfer that replacement property back to you to complete the exchange and then you finish out the remaining 500,000 of work to be done on that property. And that works great, especially when you have that property where you have a tenant to go in that property, right? Oh, if you've already got a tenant ready to go, yeah. that's that's a home run. Construction exchanges are very difficult logistically. You still follow the 45 and 180 day time frames. So we don't see lots of construction exchanges, not because they're illegal, but because it's so hard to get the work done in a compressed time frame. It's a, it's a transaction you really have to start thinking about a year before you get to it. You right. really have to have your ducks in a row. And then back to the reverse exchange, as you mentioned, when you are selling your property, you have really 180 days because you have to identify within 45. We're already identifying it. You're going to sell it, right? Yep. And, and let's say you had three properties. Could you identify three of your properties and put them all three on the market and sell the one that sells? Exactly. Nice. You could you could go buy the, the really good deal, million dollar replacement. Then you could look in your portfolio and now you're back to the sophisticated investor who says, I found a good deal for a million and now I'm going to look at my playing cards. I'm going to put three of them on the, on the market. Whichever one gets the activity first is the one that you exchange out of. Nice. That yep. works great. John, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate the opportunity. Michael Bull with the Commercial Real Estate Show at the 2015 NAR Conference and Expo. It's always great to see John uh, at these events and doing business with him. I've done business with him for probably 30 years, and the 1031 Exchange is a great tool for investors. Well, stay tuned. Next, we're going to have Nathan Graham. He's Commercial Services Manager with Realtor Property Resource, RPR. They have got some great tools and resources. If you're a realtor or if you're dealing with a realtor, they have access to these tools. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Would you like to shake hands with decision makers in your favorite commercial real estate sector? Visit interfaceconferencegroup.com for multifamily student and senior housing to net lease and healthcare conferences all over the country. Visit interfaceconferencegroup.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. Today we're featuring interviews from the National Association of Realtors Annual Conference and Expo. This year was in San Diego, and I enjoyed being there interviewing the session speakers who spoke on commercial real estate issues. Next up is Nathan Graham. He's Commercial Services Manager with Realty Property Resource. Now, these are some great resources at this uh, website that if you're a realtor, you get access to, or if you work with a realtor. Enjoy. We have Nathan Graham with Commercial Services Manager with Realtors Property Resource, RPR. And I think a lot of commercial real estate people and principals out there might not know about RPR, right? And uh, I know a lot of the commercial brokers I talk to can use the services. And first of all, this service, if you're a realtor, you're a member, 
it's it's included, right? There's no extra charge. No, that, that's that's 100% correct. Yeah. yeah. So as long as you're a realtor member from the the local all the way through to the national, uh, it's it's included with your dues. So you know, it's it's not something we like to say is free, because you know you pay your dues, you're vested in it, and uh, I think that's a really good point though. Right now. If you're a realtor, you get access. So. so tell us about the service. So if maybe I have a, a tenant that I'm helping, a retail or a medical tenant, how might I use the system to help with site selection? Okay, yeah, there's a lot of great tools in the system. We have an analysis program that's driven by a lot of economic, demographic, and then ESRI tapestry segmentation. So uh, you're able to use the site selection tools to kind of narrow down population growth areas. You can find uh, basic consumer information. You can locate exactly where uh, you know, your potential clients might be at um, and kind of hopefully save you time more than anything else. So you're not spending your time looking in places that don't match what your clients really needing to go to. Okay. And so I just go to the website, which is what? Uh, NARRPR.com. Okay. Yes, and, and so let's say that I'm uh, selling a site. I have uh, some land in Atlanta okay. and I think it's great for a, uh, I don't know, a medical office building. You know, is how might I use the system? Yeah, so a great a great way to do that. We have uh, trade area analysis. Um, so you can go in there, you can type in the zip code or the area that you're looking at, and we'll generate for you all the economic information that you need to, to do your presentation. Uh, we also bring in all the tapestry segments again, so you can see who's living around there, uh, what their needs are, how much you know spendable income they might have, so you can really gauge uh, what type of you know medical office might be appropriate there and, and what type of client they might be able to target. So That's great, because I'm used to retail gap analysis showing where you can find maybe there's some retail opportunities, but, but with this system you can can do it also for uh, a medical and other uses. Oh yes, definitely, definitely. Yeah. We, we try to be as incorporative as of all the different uh, office types and um, commercial realty types as, as we possibly can. So. so what might surprise people that when they when they get involved and they start using this system, what surprises them? Oh man, I mean it's, it's amazing. So we do one hour kind of commercial introduction courses, webinars, all that kind of stuff. And it's just, you know, the days that there's that much data available to them. And at the no cost, you know, if you're a realtor member, it's at your fingertips. If you if you can understand and digest the information and use it properly, it's a world of change for you. Wow. So it's 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 really great. It's powerful stuff. Yeah. Well, Nathan, thanks for joining us. So it does pay to be a realtor. Oh my gosh, it, it does, especially this day and age. I all appreciate right. it. All right, thank you, <laughs> Michael Bull, with the Commercial Real Estate Show, the 2015 Conference and Expo from NAR. For more information on RPR resources, visit NAR. RPR.com. I know that's a, that's a mouthful there. N-A-R-R-P-R.com. And I want to thank Gene Madej and everyone at the National Association of Realtors for a fantastic conference. If you're a commercial broker, check it out next year. If you're a residential broker, you're probably already going. <laughs> uh, and thank you to NAR. I was honored to lead a session there that I spoke, uh, Top 10 Success Strategies for commercial agents. I was honored to do that and very much enjoyed it. And remember, you can get access to all their recorded sessions at realtor.org. Be sure and join us next week. We're going to talk about crowdfunding, a great way for sponsors to raise money and for investors to invest in commercial real estate online. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Commercial Advisors, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com, Realnex, 
a comprehensive and powerful suite of commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low price. Visit realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. Excelligent, the resource professionals use for commercial real estate information. Visit excelligent.com. That's X-C-E-L-I-G-E-N-T. Commercial Search, the source to market and source available properties for sale or lease. Visit CommercialSearch.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional videos, podcasts, or articles, visit CREshow.com.